Hey there, and welcome to episode number 149 of Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is October 1970. My name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. And mine is Jamie Wenger. Guys, we are in this very strange liminal state right now. Uh, at the time we're recording this episode, we have not yet recorded our 150th episode live extravaganza mm. uh, with Chelsea Kane. But by the time folks are hearing this, that will be one week in the past. Uh, <laughs> but they won't hear it until next week. Well, this is um, a Kang situation again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that assumes that nothing goes wrong, like between now and then or during or after. <laughs> I, I mean, like, what, what, what happens if something happens to the recording? Like, mm-hmm. uh, well, the this, Omega variant. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, <laughs> this is my internal monologue for the next ten days. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, we're in uh, we're in uh, Schrodinger's comics. Yeah, or, uh, I'll think of something better. We'll workshop that. It's fine, man. It's Monday. We're doing a a, oh, a yeah. unusual early Monday record because uh, two thirds of us are, are going to be traveling uh, later this week. So yeah, that's again I think contributed to this like feeling unstuck in time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yep. And we can't do this without Jamie now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, cre- I've created a, a dependency system. Two and a half host. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's he's like three, two and two three thirds. Or fours. Yeah, <laughs> fourteen sixteenths. Uh, we'll run the numbers again. Uh, <laughs> the first dozen's free either way. It's then... it's hard to use an abacus when you're recording live because it's so noisy. Anyway, I'm sure everything is going to go fine. Um, I mean, relative to everything else going on in the world right now, it's going to go like probably the most perfect thing that has ever happened. Oh, yeah. The so, bar is is low. Relativity works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got an amazing guest in Chelsea Kane. Uh, we've got three really fun stories to talk about with her. Um, so, you know, I think everything's going to work out uh, just fine. Um, that does, however, leave eight other stories uh, from that month to cover. Uh, so that's what we have to do in this episode. That is our mandate. Um, but before we talk about the Marvel comics of October, 1970, uh, we're going to see what else was happening in the world in October, 1970. Uh, Jamie, let's have you kick us off this time. All right. Uh, let us know what's up. We'll do. So October 2nd, 1970, Pink Floyd released Adam Hart Mother, which would become their first number one album. Hey. Uh, on the 4th of October, American singer Janis Joplin died at age 27, 27 from an overdose of drugs. Whoa. Her body was found in room 105 at the Landmark Motel in Hollywood, California. Her manager, John Cook, had become alarmed after he hadn't seen her during the day. Whoa. Yeah. I, didn't, I had no idea it was, she was that young. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, uh, I think it was Kurt Cobain's mom who talked to after he had killed himself I, I think at the same age allegedly yeah right uh she uh but i think i think cobain's mom said something like he's gone and joined that stupid club and it's like oh wow because it's like 27 is the age that all these rock stars mm-hmm. wound oh, up yeah you know going way too young so oh grim stuff um here's something speaking not, of grim yeah not not much less grim uh <laughs> on the 7th of october in a nationwide address u.s president richard nixon announced a five-point proposal for a truce to halt the vietnam war with all sides to begin a ceasefire and the release of all prisoners of war in exchange for broader negotiations in the paris peace talks mm. the north vietnamese and Viet Cong delegations to the paris talks both denounced nixon's proposal the next day as quote 
a maneuver to deceive world opinion, which I mean is probably true. Like, I mean, if his lips were moving, it was probably a maneuver to deceive world opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's not not that. Yeah, uh, but I feel they, like you've really done a full flip flop on Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they did uh, they they did stop short of rejecting it entirely. Um, and then uh, five days later, on October twelfth, Nixon announced that the United States would would withdraw. 40,000 more troops from South Vietnam before Christmas. Oh, nice. So that's positive. On October 8th, 1970, actor Matt Damon, best known for his portrayal of actor playing Loki in Thor Ragnarok and as redneck number two in Deadpool, Deadpool was born in Los Angeles, California. Yay. Those are great. He was in Deadpool 2. Come on. Oh, you're right. Yes, Deadpool 2. My apologies. <laughs> redneck 2 in Deadpool 2. Yeah. That's very important. And, and easy to remember. <laughs> you want to get <laughs> one, tweets? One that's how you're going to get tweets. Uh, the, I like sounding outraged. On the 10th of October, uh, Quebec's Minister of Labor with a U, um, Pierre Laporte, was kidnapped by the Front de Libération de Quebec uh, terrorist group. Uh, Laporte was playing football with neighborhood children at a park across the road from his home in Saint-Lambert, who and two men one of them carrying a machine gun, grabbed him and shoved him into a waiting car. On October 16th, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau's government declared the only peacetime state of emergency in Canada's history and outlawed the FLQ, permitting provincial police and local authorities to arrest more than 250 people across the Quebec province. The next day, Pierre Laporte was murdered by his captors with a single gunshot to the head. The body was found in the trunk of an automobile in the early morning hours of Sunday near the St. Hubert. <laughs> I'm just going to do this airport outside of Montreal. So, yeah. Wow. Me trying to pronounce things in French is not great when you're reporting on this uh, little tidbit of history. Yeah, this, this is uh, just a wild time in, in Quebec's history. Uh, I grew up like two and a half hours from Quebec. So um, like I, I'm dimly aware of the separatist movements and everything. I remember in my first year in college, they came within like half a percentage point of voting to secede from Canada. Whoa. Really? Like there's a super strong separatist uh, sentiment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, Quebec, man, it's, it's its own thing. It's its own thing. I it's not so. exactly a Texas of Canada, mm. but it is its own thing. Yeah. And Montreal is actually one of my favorite cities in the world. It's like a little chunk of uh, Europe in North America. So if yeah, you I always think of yeah. Quebec as very, you know, I don't know, cosmopolitan by comparison to some of Canada. Yes, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and uh, not that I I love Canada, but uh, it's like it's weird to think of it as getting to a separatist movement because I yeah. never think of think of rural and separatist is more likely to collide oh yeah yeah sure yeah. Mm-hmm. that's that's that. my report yep. thank you <laughs> that was that was great <laughs> thanks it was a great ted talk <laughs> uh well i'm i'm going to uh to take us on to um another topic uh no less terrifying um on the 14th of october for the first time in world history three nations conducted nuclear weapons tests on the same day Oof. yeah Oof. oh wait no no <laughs> The Soviet Union carried out the largest underground nuclear test up to that time, a six-megaton blast beneath Novaya Zemla Island in the Arctic. 
China exploded a three megaton bomb in an atmospheric test at Lopnor in the Xinjiang province. And finally, the United States tested a weapon at the Proving Grounds in Nevada, which was described only as being in the low to intermediate range, no higher than 200 kilotons. A mere wow. drop in the kiloton bucket. Uh, a spokesman for the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission commented, it sometimes takes several years to plan an atomic weapons test. This has got to be pure and sheer coincidence. Wow. And so were the crazy amount of kaiju births the following <laughs> yeah, right. in the following <laughs> Completely year. Completely unrelated. Yeah. Yep. On October 15th, 1970, the Organized Crime Control Act, including the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, or RICO, was signed into law, allowing the U.S. federal criminal prosecution and civil lawsuits against organized crime, including persons who order others to do or commit crimes. Yeah. Wow. So before that, it was illegal to go after organized it was it was just a lot harder to make the case uh, this is basically the thing that introduced like conspiracy as mm. a as a felony oh okay so if you know if you are the head of a criminal organization and you are coercing folks to do illegal things or commit felonies you could be held to the same standard that they were uh okay so, yep. i was going to ask you to explain to me in terms of uh goodfellas oh yeah yeah <laughs> but i actually understood what you what to lay that out that was excellent great. didn't make any sense to me <laughs> uh <laughs> on the 19th of october 1970 u.s president richard milhouse nixon made his second unannounced meeting with college students stepping out of his limousine <laughs> on the campus of ohio state university shaking hands with students who have who happened to be there and conversing with them for the next half hour. When one student approached Nixon and said, you can take my draft card. The president replied, I'm winding down the war boy. Uh, with minimal secret service protection, Nixon then stood on the trunk of the limo waved and began shaking hands before leaving again. Huh. Brazen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what a character, this guy. Yep. It's been fun to see his life pass by. There's presidency <laughs> from from <laughs> afar. Yeah, from so, so And not far. witness anything like that at all in our lifetimes. Exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, on the 26th of uh, October, Gary Trudeau's long-running satirical newspaper comic, Doonesbury, was first published. Uh-huh. The debut strip appeared in 28 newspapers as the first strip from Universal Press Syndicate. In 1975, it would become the first daily comic strip to win a Pulitzer Prize. Really? Yep. Wow. I've never, I deemed it always looked weird to me and I just passed it on by in favor of Garfield and Spider-Man. And... <laughs> I think, I think Doonesbury is a very, very confusing comic to come across when you were a kid, like going through the, and like my hometown newspaper ran it on like the letters to the editor and op-ed page. Mm-hmm. They didn't put it in with the rest of the. Oh, the rest of the comics? To puzzle the kids. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, probably a good like, safety feature. Yeah. It's like kids aren't going to get this. Right. What are they doing? On October 27th, the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act of 1970 was signed into law, which included the Controlled Substances Act. The new law reduced the federal charges for most narcotic possession or use from felonies to misdemeanors, but increased the federal criminal penalties for selling illegal narcotics. Dang. The war on drugs is a coming. On the same day, the 27th of October, Jesus Christ, superstar. (laughs) was first placed on sale as a two-disc record album of the studio recording of a rock opera written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. 
without having ever been performed before a live audience. Oh, wow. That's the <laughs> I thing. was totally <laughs> unaware of that, but yeah. Um, I mean, Wikipedia says this, so it has to be true. It reminds <laughs> me of picking up the pick of destiny. Oh, uh, right. It mm. came out going, what's this all about, you guys? <laughs> Tenacious D? Yeah. yeah. Soundtrack to, an, uh, to a movie that didn't exist. Um, and then uh, on the 29th of October in San Jose, California, U.S. President Nixon encountered an angry mob of over 5,000 demonstrators. Nixon was at a political rally for Republican candidates at the city's municipal auditorium and encountered booing as he walked to his car. When Nixon stood on the back of the presidential limousine and raised his arms in the V for victory gesture, someone in the crowd threw a rock close to him. After he was back in his car, the crowd pelted the limousine and a motorcade with rocks, eggs, and bottles, and riot police were necessary to clear a path for the cars to leave. According to the diary entry for that day from presidential aide H.R. Haldeman, the protesters had unwittingly fallen right into the hands of President Nixon, who had desired such a newsworthy confrontation so that he could continue to stoke up his silent majority appeal to middle America. Ew. Ew. Yep. Oh, gross. He knew not to stand on a car, you know, near what Berkeley in San Jose. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Don't taught the hippies. Yeah. He did it. He did it three times and he finally got the reaction he was looking for. Wow. So, yeah. Should have thrown flowers at him. Yep. There you go. Don't take the bait, kids. Uh, that is a sampling of the headlines from October 1970. We are going to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk about the Marvel comics of October 1970 right here on Marvel by the Month. Okay, everybody. Uh, this season... Each episode of Marvel by the Month is being brought to you by one of the finest sponsors that 1970s comic books have to offer. This seemed like a much better idea before I took a closer look at some of these sponsors. Rob, (laughs) I'm almost afraid to ask, but who have we got this week? (laughs) Well, Brian, you should be afraid to ask because this week's sponsor is Monster Size Monsters. Wait, by definition, isn't any monster... Just imagine your friends shock when they walk into your room and see the monster reaching out. Bigger than life Frankenstein, the original man-made monster, that creation of evil genius that terrorized the world. I thought that Frankenstein was the doctor. A giant seven feet tall, his eyes glow eerily as his hand reaches out, as awful and sinister as the wildest nightmare. All right, you're laying it out a little thick here. Yes, Frankenstein is seven feet tall. In authentic colors on durable polyethylene, and so lifelike you'll probably find yourself talking to him. You will absolutely not find yourself. Won't you be surprised if he answers? Comes, (laughs) Comes complete with eyes that glow even in the pitch dark for a special thrilling chill. Uh, Rob, I'm not really a Frankenstein kind of guy. I don't like monsters with too many muscles. What else have you got for me? How about Bony the Skeleton? Stark scary with nothing left but his bare bones. A seven-foot monster out of the grave. His bones white, his eyes staring, even glowing in the dark. This sounds terrifying. I'm in. How do I order this amazing product? Just send $1 plus 25 cents to cover postage and handling for each monster you want. Your money back if not satisfactorily horrified. I don't know about horrified. I am definitely filled with regret. Anyway, thanks, I guess, to Monster Size Monsters for sponsoring this episode of Marvel by the Month. 
Uh, we are also supported each and every week by our patrons who subscribe at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month. Our Patreon supporters are the ones who actually make it possible for us to make Marvel by the Month week in and week out. And everyone who supports us at the $4 a month level gets access to the Marvel by the Month bonus feed. Uh, I was just taking a look at that feed and we're up to more than 30 episodes on there. So there are lots of extended episodes from this season and last season, plus a few Patreon exclusive episodes. Oh, and for every episode that goes up on the public feed, there's going to be an extended version that goes up on the bonus feed. Our Patreon supporters were also first in line to get tickets to our 150th episode live show, and they always hear about what we've got coming up before anyone else. And there's something coming up that we can't say anything about just yet, but you'll have to be a patron to participate. So thank you so much to all of our patrons for your support. If you would like to become one, head to patreon.com slash marvelbythemonth and sign up today. Hey everybody, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. I'm going to tell you about Iron Man number 33. The story is called Their Mission, Destroy Stark Industries. <laughs> That's not how mission names are supposed to go. <laughs> it's like Mission Fallen Condor or something like well, that. Well, blame it on Alan Brodsky because he wrote it. Uh, Don Heck and Joe Guadioso, a.k.a. Mike Esposito, drew it. Uh, so we, we have not covered any issues of Iron Man in depth from the, the Alan Brodsky era. Hmm. Um, I thought this would be sure. This, this will, will be, be one, an issue. This will be the <laughs> yeah. one that we will okay. cover probably. Um, so it, uh, Brodsky does not have a super robust, uh, Marvel bibliography. Um, he, he's got yeah, like maybe a dozen and a half issues scattered over the course of a few different titles over the course of maybe two years or so. Um, if you remember, he was he was basically uh, like an office secretary um, who kind of like he was an aspiring writer. He got a chance to to write a few books. Um, his run on Iron Man here, which goes like nine issues or so, is basically like that is his his crowning achievement um, mm, okay. as far as Marvel Comics goes. And everything that the Iron Man movies and franchise were based on. Right, I'm, all I, from I these 100%, 100%. centralized, beat yeah. for beat. Yep, yep. Uh, you had me there for a minute. Too. I was like, is that true? <laughs> I used my assertion voice. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. your serious. This face. is a true fact of history, Jamie. <laughs> I, it's fair play for the the DA, <laughs> my my DA joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's so, get into this. Yeah, so is, so you know, Brodsky, uh, not not the most prolific Marvel writer. Um, he's got about a dozen and a half issues to his name. Which you know is like a dozen and a half more than I have, so I'm not throwing any shade here. Yeah. It's just you know, I'm sure he was very accomplished in other ways. It's just that was this wasn't the thing that that he based his career on. Uh, one thing uh, which I did not know about him um, uh, was something that I saw in a uh, a a short biography of him published in Volume Seven of the Invincible Iron Man Marvel Masterworks uh, series. Um, and, and I will read this excerpt. His biggest statement in comics, however, came by way of a seven issue run as writer of Iron Man, where he articulated a desire to give the title a bit more of a conservative tint to balance what he considered a stable of Marvel heroes that were too ideologically to the left. Whoa. Yeah. Well, thank goodness. So, he, so <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah. Alan Brodsky was kind of like Marvel's token conservative. Huh. So, 
there you go. Iron Man seems like a good title. It's the perfect one. It's just literally the perfect one. If you were going to make any Marvel hero uh, a, a conservative icon, like lean into the multi-millionaire industrial tycoon. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's your best bet. It makes so, total sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to uh, shout out uh, a fellow by the name of Alan Stewart, uh, who does a comics blog at 50yearoldcomics.com for that little tidbit. I never would have found that. I don't collect the Marvel Masterworks. Um, and I didn't know anything about alan brodsky before we started doing this podcast so i huh. have perused the 50 year old comics uh, uh occasionally nice. for, for info when we're when when on the rare occasion when i provide historical <laughs> info uh-huh. um which is let's say twice yeah um <laughs> so you could say 50 percent of the time yeah you, it's a valuable resource yeah he, he's a very well written blog I, th- I think everyone should at least check it out and skim it a little bit um anyway uh, not only is Iron Man number 33 the start of a multi-part story yeah. uh, that winds up crossing into Daredevil uh, in a few months, um, it's also the debut of the Spy Master, who sometimes has a hyphen and sometimes doesn't, and oh. we're just going to go with that. Oh, much like Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Uh, ordinarily, I would call Spy Master a C-list villain. This is Iron Man, so we're going to call him a B-list villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right up there curve. with Midas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, he, he wears a, uh, a blue black unitard with yellow gloves and highlights on the arms and chest and mask that are also yellow. Um, it's, it's almost kind of a heroic color scheme. Um, but don't worry, Don Heck makes it clear that he's a bad guy mm. uh, by putting a green radar grid circle on his chest with a knife on it. Uh, I'd call it a sword, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's one heck of a design. Oh. How have we gone this many episodes and not made that joke? Hundred forty nine. We finally. I gotta go. Finally got, got it. it. Mission accomplished. Uh, what's the thing on his head? Uh, they never really look at his head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a clock. It is. It I don't know. Like, is it like Mean Machines dial? That's is what it? it looks like. A little like tachometer or something on the top, uh, just on his forehead. Yeah. So it's blue. So it kind of blends in with the blue top of his mask but blue i don't blue. know yeah yeah weird i'm curious i'm hoping that it comes up but so <laughs> i i was the minute i saw it on this splash page one uh-huh. and then there was no mention of it so i was a little bummed yeah. um but you know we get some espionage and a guy who behind him looks like leonard nimoy he totally like, looks like leonard nimoy if right? leonard yes. nimoy was just jacked yep. i mean this is the mission impossible team right yes basically yeah yeah yep. so he th- let, let's talk about them so uh, it, the story begins with the spy master introducing the five members of his support team, the espionage elite. Uh, so we have Maria Penskyov, uh, who is a blonde white lady and former top agent for the Kremlin. Uh, we have Farley London. Um, I'm guessing he's British, uh, a dark haired white guy who is also a magician, gambler and master of disguises. That's <laughs> like, your I love gambler that. is in I there. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that. That's your Leonard Nimoy right there. Uh, Gottfried Herter, uh, a brown haired white guy with a mustache who is an electronics genius. Basically dumb, dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. looks exactly like dumb, dumb. Uh, Roger Phillips, a skilled all purpose athlete and gymnast who you have probably already assumed is a blonde white guy. <laughs> um, and then we have Samson Washington, uh, the one black guy on the team. He's an ex circus strongman. 
And in case that seems a little racist, he's also a Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, calm your jets. And it's funny because, like, the the bit about him being a Rhodes Scholar is, like, preceded by an ellipsis. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's like yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm conservative. I think black people can be smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ellipse was very unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just awkward. So, and anyway. also, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how handy that is in his spy career. Oh, yeah, right. Much like gambling may not be a super (laughs) great thing to uh, have as one of the things that's named on your trading card. Yeah. I mean, gambling, at least in like a James Bond kind of way, usually can come into play. But Road Scholar, that's a stretch. Yeah. For sure, a stretch. Yeah. Does it mean he he wins a game? I mean, anybody can gamble. Right, right, right. It doesn't say successful gambling. I see gambler and I assume he has a vice and a problem. (laughs) Right. right. Like there's an 800 number he should be on right now. not, Not that he's gifted. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the, the espionage elite do not know who the spy master is, but he promises to make them wealthy beyond their dreams if they help him infiltrate the main complex at Stark Industries. <gasps> Did this feel? Oh man, this is, I'm gonna this is gonna get me letters. Did this feel like Claremonty to you guys at all? Like the, the in- setup? Yeah, the setup. At, like it's like here's a bunch of people they're definitely going to be important and they will be around forever and i feel like claremont does that with a thousand teams yeah he everybody gets the intro, the full card. Everyone, intro. everyone stands around and says their names and powers yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. like and are treated with equal weight and they're like oh i guess this is where comics are going now it's like, like it's a game show with claremont though because you don't know right. who was actually important and, <laughs> right. and the other 50 characters you got introduced to yeah yeah yeah, yeah i would say this is um you know the maybe like the sugar-free version of that yeah 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 it's a, I, I wasn't going full oh no but yeah. in that in that vein well i mean you know chris claremont is chris claremont and alan brodsky <laughs> is alan brodsky <laughs> so yeah um claremont-ish yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they they yeah you, you can see a, yeah, a whiff of it um it actually feels a lot like um <clears throat> like uh war comics uh like yeah uh the, the howling commandos or blackhawks oh, or cool. you know the the multi-ethnic uh, team uh of, of you know each one's a specialist in a certain yeah okay thing. Yeah, yeah so i think of it more as the mystery science theater robot roll call but you know <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> we each went three different ways with that <laughs> i, I really think more about the howling commandos or the the leathernecks or whatever roughnecks rough leather <laughs> captain leather Great. and the rough m- men <laughs> captain leather and the rough men you got it moving on you know for kids uh tony stark is heading home to his apartment at stark industries uh he's in a bit of a funk he spends a couple pages recapping his recent adventures uh and as uh tony is staring pensively out the window he fails to see gottfried herter ducking into a manhole and planting some sort of device among the underground power lines. I love that the outfit is like bright blue, uh, which normally wouldn't be very useful for camouflage. Right. Except that the way the scene is illustrated, it's perfect for camouflage. Yeah. Sure. Like that shade of blue is like not that far off the shade of green in the lawn and the street is actually blue. Are they in Jersey? They're in, like, they're in the Garden State. You Long know? Island, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Long Island. Sorry. Yeah. Hey. Hey, forget about it. Um, uh, Tony, uh, he tires himself out with a couple more pages of running through his superhero resume. uh, And he's finally able to fall asleep uh, on a giant pile of money, presumably. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. Uh, And then so Tony wakes up the next morning to see a plume of smoke erupting from the manhole that we saw Gottfried enter and leave the night before. 
Stark Industries security calls what they think is the phone company. But who should arrive but Gottfried Herter? Mm. Guy gets around. Uh, He and Samson Washington go back down the manhole again, where they attach what looks like a time bomb. Why didn't he just do that? Yeah, yeah. There's a, the first seven or eight pages of the story is a lot of like running around in circles and then it gets real compressed and condensed <laughs> yeah. toward like the maybe end. we shouldn't have revisited every C <laughs> actual C list villain from Iron Man as <laughs> mm-hmm. he reminisces. Yeah, there's like four pages of recaps in the first seven pages of yeah. the story. Which so. like if you needed, by all means, recap you to your heart's delight. But when you have you need space to tell your story, like yeah. maybe tighten that that belt. Yeah. Um, I've got to tell. I got to talk about one more thing. Yeah. As, a, as a designer of logos and such, yes. <laughs> um, have you noticed in many scenes the Stark Industries symbol on the building? The dollar. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's an S wrapped around a, an I that has you know serifs on the top and bottom, and it just looks like a dollar sign. Is that seriously? That's yeah. his logo. Yeah. 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 It's I, real I don't think we've seen it before. McDuckian. Yeah. Wow. Um, it happened like the first time it happened, I just sort of blew by it. And then the, then I saw it in the background of another shot and then it was in again. I'm like, Don Hex really like leaning into yeah. this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a money bin in the background of any of these shots <laughs> that we looked closely? Wow. All right. Well, I mean, he is trying to cast Tony as, you know, business tycoon hero. So I wonder if that's Don Heck like pushing back a little bit, like <laughs> just making like, as conservative as you way want. on the nose. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe or maybe. Alan Brodsky was like, I got the perfect idea for the logo. Oh, wow. Like, and Hex like, okay. <laughs> they don't pay like, me enough to argue with you. Right. <laughs> they don't pay me enough. <laughs> yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the, the espionage elite have, have planted the bomb um, under the manhole cover, you know, in the sewer sewer sure but they didn't plant the first time they didn't plant the first time that they could have planted the first time and it would have made no difference to the story uh meanwhile uh tony stark yells at kevin an irish guy who interrupted him (laughs) uh they're trying to make kevin happen they're like he's been around really trying to make kevin happen Mm -hmm. and boy yeah guy just shows up and chews all the scenery to pieces (laughs) um and then uh tony gets an eagle priority message from shield Nick Fury warns him that a gang of industrial spies, the espionage elite, are planning to knock out Stark Industries. Fury tells Stark to meet him at Orient Point tonight at midnight for more information. Uh, And then uh, Tony, uh, after concluding his call with Fury, starts whipping his staff into a high state of alert. Does Fury, this is a dumb question, Mm -hmm. does Fury know that he's Iron Man? I couldn't remember and there was no context clues. No. Oh, he doesn't. Okay. No. And that's spoiler alert, not Fury. So, oh wow, yeah, bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. yeah. Which also, I got a whole thing around that, but <laughs> let's just keep moving forward. Um, uh, so back at Espionage Elite HQ, the team, which is in the middle of a mission, is training <laughs> and sparring with each other <laughs> with live ammo. Yeah, yeah, right. They're just going for it. Um, uh, meanwhile, during a group tour of Stark Industries manufacturing section, an older gentleman collapses and is taken to the infirmary. His niece accom- accompanies him, but wait, something's up. Well, the niece creates a distraction. The old man plants another one of Gottfried's <laughs> timed devices. Uh, so there's there's bomb number two. Um, uh, elsewhere in the complex, uh, Tony Stark conducts this elaborate 
puppet show with the suit of Iron Man armor to make Jasper Sitwell feel useful. <laughs> By uh, being insulting. Yeah. yeah. Being yeah. super insulting. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, suddenly a giant explosion rocks the complex. You might be thinking, oh, this is the espionage elite bombs. Nope. Uh, it's Kevin, the Irish guy that Tony yelled at earlier. <laughs> Kevin gets yelled at some more. Yep. This time by Iron Man, but exactly the same way that Tony Stark yelled at him before. Yeah, uh-huh. it's like he's got a he's got a head for recognizing yells. Um, also, like he makes some kind of reference to being like an Irishman. He was like blowing things up yeah and I'm like i don't think that's cool yeah like that, you shouldn't be saying that that was not a good yeah uh you teach this explosive irishman some fundamentals of lab safety yeah mm. we had some my grandma's side there there were a lot of yeah. irish temper jokes oh and really? exploding mm. you know uh-huh. yeah and also really bad behavior but uh, so <laughs> right. you know a little column a little column that sure uh okay um uh, meanwhile, Samson Washington and Roger Phillips, disguised as EMTs, pick up the old man and his niece, a.k.a. Farley London and Maria Penskyov, in an ambulance. Farley changes his look to resemble a man named Somerset, who has a job interview at Stark Industries. <laughs> it's a real Ocean's Eleven kind of situation. <laughs> it's like the Ocean's 44. <laughs> it's just too much. Too many oceans. How much spirit gum does this guy have on him? <laughs> yep. How much do you need? Uh, he leaves another bomb uh, where he uh, has his job interview uh, and makes himself scarce. Uh, so then, uh, well, Tony leaves to rendezvous with who he thinks is Nick Fury. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh. Uh, they were ready to offer him the job. Oh, yeah. yeah. He also <laughs> got a job offer while he's planting the bomb because yeah, that's I how good that. he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, well, Tony leaves to rendezvous with who he thinks is Nick Fury. Uh, the three bombs placed around Stark Industries suddenly detonate, uh, and when guards rush in to respond to the emergency, the espionage elite shoot them down. Mm. Um, and the first few panels this happens in, it really looks like they're just being murdered, and then like it's a little more obvious. It's like, oh no, they're ray guns, uh-huh. um, but I mean, they're being murdered. The yeah, they, they changed the bang to zat, yeah. and uh, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kevin the Irishman attacks one of them as they try to steal Stark's research files, but he is quickly overwhelmed. Uh, finally, Tony reaches his rendezvous with Nick Fury, who pulls a zapper on him and zaps him unconscious. The story ends on a cliffhanger of Farley London pulling off his Nick Fury mask and taunting Tony Stark, chained and helpless, on the floor of the headquarters of the espionage elite. To be continued. Whew, I yeah. guess we can't... Uh, because of the premise of our show, miss this one uh, next, oh, next yeah. week. We've kind of painted ourselves in a little well, bit. Well, I mean, yeah. next, next week. Because, you know, we're doing a special live show. So, right. You know. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Like, the thing I was just going to say about the whole Fury thing, like, he's the head of, like, the world's greatest spy organization. And Stark is, like, a high-level trusted confidant. Like, don't they have some sort of way of, like, recognizing each other? I mean, this kind of stuff happens... Like every weekend, um, mm, yeah. is that one of them is being impersonated by somebody else. So, I don't know. It just seems it seems like there were certain things in the story that were thought through in incredible obsessive <laughs> detail, very granular. Um, and then there were some things that were just like, meh. Yeah, yeah, so, I agree with that. I do think it's the right direction for the book. I like it. But conservative stuff aside, yeah, yeah. Like I like the spy master. Or not <laughs> that was funny. I like the spy stuff. Oh, right. Independent of the spy master. 
<laughs> that was just an unfortunate <laughs> linguistic coincidence. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like because he's got a suit of iron that lets him do whatever he wants. Like having it be rooted in like business and sneaking around, and it just adds a dimension to the book that mm-hmm. is seems uh, like pregnant with story potential. Yeah, yeah, we saw a little bit of that with like uh, yeah, Madame Mask, and that you know when, and we saw it kind of done maybe better <laughs> but uh where it was it, it everything seemed a little bit more like dramatic like a james bond film yeah but this is more specifically like straight up corporate espionage right though, so yeah yeah it's a slightly different flavor on the on the theme yeah. variation on the theme you could say one could one if could. one were so inclined <laughs> <laughs> well there you go uh honestly that's probably the most time we are going to uh devote to the alan brodsky era of iron man um that's that's a taste of what it's kind of like yeah so i don't know i got nothing else to say about it it's not my favorite <laughs> era of iron man honestly anything those yeah. costumes are hilarious the I, spock that's... thing was so distracting to me he really like yeah. really looked like spock yeah. yeah apparently kirby's not the only one who can just draw <laughs> what he sees, <laughs> what on, he TV. sees on the tv uh, yeah. i don't know if don don heck well i mean he can draw a spock okay yep. we'll give him that yeah right right great job <laughs> nice spock yep Okay, uh, let's take another break, uh, and we will uh, keep going, uh, talking about these Marvel comics of October 1970 here on Marvel by the Month. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's talk about Thor number 183, Trapped in Doomsland. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is by Stan Lee and John Buscema with Joe Sinnott doing the finishes. Um, okay, so this is also recapped in this issue, but last issue, right. uh, Thor went to Latveria to disable Doom's missile program and rescue the kidnapped scientist forced to help Doom build missiles. Uh, lame Dr. Blake got himself thrown in Dr. Doom's dungeon. Why, you ask? Because the <laughs> one doctor, the actual medical doctor, lost his damn mind when he saw the other doctor's hideous unarmored face man (laughs) total pro total pro this sort of gummed up his plan which was promising uh uh, the plan was promising that he could fix any face no matter how gruesome (laughs) through the wonders of plastic surgery Man, there's only one way, like, there's only one circumstance in which that would be a good plan. Right? There's only one character. There's only one. Yeah. Like, or, like, Inspector Gadget. Was that guy hideously scarred? Claw? I don't know. He's yeah, just maybe. Hand, right? Or I'm thinking of, like, Destro. I get those yeah, two confused. Right, right, um, right. All right. So maybe not just one. Okay. So this seems like he screwed it up, but his lameitude is one trudge ahead of us. He <laughs> wanted to get thrown in the Huskow uh, to change into Thor. Because he couldn't think of any better place to do it, I guess. Um, Doom's guards threw in his walking stick, but told him he would not ever be walking anywhere again uh, as he's thrown in the dungeon. Take this as an example of cruel irony. (laughs) (laughs) But they were wrong. LDB had a trick up his sleeve. uh, Well, his shoe. So he held onto the lace and used the shoe as a dragging tool. How exciting. Man, they've done that in how many movies? How many times have you seen that? You know, or someone cobbles together Mm -hmm. a... A sticky hand they or should. macgyvers it together as we say these days right yeah. right they should have taken the shoes um always take the shoes 
Blake changes into Thor. He flies out through a wall, Kool-Aid style, and then Doom immediately sees something in his airspace and fires a missile. Like, not even a second <laughs> nope, of hesitation. No hesitation. Uh, this missile, um, it will... Uh, Thor will have to either avoid and let hit a village or take the full brunt of. And that's where we left off. That was the cliffhanger. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so enough with that. Thor, let's call it, thinks his way out of the problem. <laughs> he whirls Mjolnir around and throws it up into the sky. And this, of course, creates a vortex that attracts the missile up, up, and away. Smart plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it leaves Thor falling down, down, and not away. Um, not, not a smart plan. Yeah, then we get to watch Thor pretty gracelessly smash a chimney and fall on the ground really hard. But it's never for, lose his hat. Yeah, his oh, hat yeah. stayed on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hat is still standing. Um, <laughs> so the, the good news, bad news, the missile explodes safely, but the hammer does not make it back within 60 seconds. So we're back to lame Dr. Blake time. Um, he goes into the village looking for where the hammer fell. Some villagers find it first. Before we can find out if any like normal Latvian is worthy, mm. Doom shoes everyone away with a you know laser blast for their safety. <laughs> he says, "I merely sought to protect you, one and all. If there is danger here, then I shall face it first. Oh yeah, and then he stands on the back of a limousine, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do, but we get to know what Doom's thinking, which is. And there's power to be gained. Only Doom will have it. Yeah, that's our guy. Uh, but for some own, unknown reason, Doom is unable to lift the hammer from where it fell. Oh, I know why. <laughs> what? Uh, he's not worthy. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, since he can't lift it, he puts a handy-dandy electrostatic force field around it so no one else can try to lift it either because he's Doom. And they yeah. get a shock if they touch the shield, right? Yeah. Imagine it's like a sweater. Yep. <laughs> a <sweater>. bad sweater. <laughs> um. So uh, then he uh, uh, then Doom has a guard activate a robot that looks like a weird table uh, on top <laughs> of a rolly chair yep. with guns or rockets. Well it's hard described. to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, he and he throws a picture of Blake into it, and it is off to Roomba up Blake. Because <laughs> he just has, he happens to have a, a five by seven portrait photo, like a, a Sears portrait. It's a glossy studio eight photo. by ten. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> of, of Don Blake. Yeah, why not? Why, why not? I can't remember the the. Uh, the that he's a doctor. Why is he giving headshots? A weird noise. Maybe because he was well, coming over. He's a face over. guy. He's a, he's there to repair faces. I mean, maybe it's he's like, like it could look like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Check out the after picture. Cheekbones. <laughs> uh, um, what, it's called like the silent stalker. It's or something. a stalker. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, <laughs> I have to point out uh, in England, you know, what they would confuse that with, they they would think that's an erection. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Is that three or four on that one? <laughs> I think that's four. I feel like that's your best will, actually. <laughs> um, so we take a, a quick cut to Asgard, where everyone is watching the happenings in Latveria through Odin's sweet flat screen TV. It's like a big, round, crazy contraption. Um, Sif is upset. Balder asks why asks why she's crying if she doesn't believe Thor can get out of the sticky situation. Um, then Sif says this not so great line, uh, alas, noble Balder, tis not my faith that doth deserts me though. I be decked in warrior's garb. My heart betrays me as a woman. Yep. So that hurt. Yeah. 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 That makes <laughs> you go. It makes you go. Oh, and then 
Before you can shake that off, <laughs> Odin says, Let fall thy tears, fair maiden. They have the power to heal a damsel's pain, to soothe a damsel's sorrow. So it's almost like uh, this is being written by a guy who was born in the 1920s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. One could say the stuff about expressing one's feelings sounds fine if, mm-hmm. if it wasn't so grossly overgendered. Yeah, but, um, but I mean, it's 52 years ago at this point. Yeah. Like that's that's where we were. It's, yeah, yep. it's, a, it's a bygone era. You know, you wouldn't yep. you wouldn't hear stuff like this nowadays. That'd be crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that would be gross. It'd be wild. <laughs> um. So back to Latveria, Dr. Blake finds Professor Lafarge, the kidnapped scientist. I think it's pronounced Professor Lafarge. Lafarge. Yeah. Um, Just when Blake thinks he might be able to return Lafarge to his daughter in the States, Lafarge freaks out and assumes it's a psychological trap created by Doom. Yeah. So Doom broke this guy, right? Like real hardcore. That's what it seems like. This is what it seems like at this point. Yeah. But then I was wondering if the later point, we'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, So Blake takes off and finds the hammer. Um, He comes up with a plan to get to the hammer because it's still in that electrostatic force field. The plan is dig by the force field quickly and noisily so that Doom's (laughs) guards come. That's another solid plan. Uh, It works. They see a hole by the hammer, Blake's jacket next to it, assume Blake is in the hole, and start shooting a bunch of laser blaster rifles into it. Despite (laughs) the fact that the hole is what, like, Three feet deep? Maybe yeah. less. I mean, he didn't have a lot of time to dig. Okay. Um, and I like that, like, the Thor, he's the hammer guy. Uh, but he was like, what can I do to get myself out of this? He's like, I don't have my hammer. Well, maybe the shovel will do. Like, <laughs> he just, like, likes tools. This <laughs> mighty shovel. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> like 17th century agrarian. <laughs> yeah. Um, guard one, after shooting the, the hole, says, uh, no need to search for him. There won't be enough to identify. And guard two says, his majesty will handsomely reward us. <laughs> Those two are not. In don't for... think he will. <laughs> yeah. uh, but lame Dr. Blake climbed a tree and now climbs into the expanded hole and digs out uh, under the force field to get uh, to the hammer. I will say he's in a, he's in jeans and a white shirt with a black tie and the shirt stays tucked in. And this is cool. He's like, <laughs> It's a real um, like Keanu Reeves kind of look to this whole thing that yeah, I, I enjoyed. He's got a nice look Yeah, when he doesn't have the jacket on. Yeah, um, not wearing that stupid Thor costume. Yeah. <laughs> but, and sorry, Jamie, uh, he gets a hold of the hammer, so he <laughs> soars right out Again? immediately and heads for Doom. Um, he Kool-Aids through another wall and <laughs> finds Doom with his hand on a lever that will unleash a thousand missiles unless Thor hands over the hammer. Uh, that's a cool shot of Doom, too. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. reaching towards the camera. Yeah. Or us thought I don't know what you call that. I mean, the dude who illustrated this literally illustrated a book called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. Oh, so, oh yeah. He's know? doing he's doing that. Yep. Um so uh then of course Thor's like, Okay, here's the hammer. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and Doom so You'll fall for this again. <laughs> yeah. Doom gets uh immediately distracted by his inability to hold this hammer, uh, and it falls to the ground. And then Thor smash missile launching stuff. Um, but Thor only gets 60 seconds without the hammer. So on his way back to grab it, doom trips him where (laughs) Thor says like, I trip, I fall. That seemed unnecessary, (laughs) but I guess people had a big argument in the Marvel bullpen about whether or not it was apparent that he was getting tripped. (laughs) Um, they fight for a couple pages while the clock is ticking. Uh, but Thor gets a hold of the hammer again, again. 
And he actually does the right thing, which is he ignores Doom and heads out to Thor smash missiles. Oh, yeah. Isn't Doom's baiting him, too? He's like, yeah. right, get back here, you young so-and-so. And, -so. and mm -hmm. Thor's like, I don't have time for this. Thor, like, stays on point on a couple yeah. times here. Yeah. He's, I have no wish to slay a beast. Tis enough to shear his claws. Yeah. yeah just a sick burn. Um, and as Thor is finishing up the mass destruction, Odin pops in to ask him if he's done with all this Midgardery <laughs> and, and ready for his mission to the world beyond. And that's the second second mention of that, right? Yeah. That oh, yeah. The last one yeah. Yep. Thor says he needs a bit more time to wrap things up with Lafarge and turns out <laughs> Lafarge doesn't want to go back to the States. He just wants to build missiles for Doom and be rich. He's like very insistent on this point. And so, so insistent that he starts shooting a gun at Thor a bunch. Um, Thor whizzes the hammer to not get hit and bullets, uh, a bullet ricochets into Lafarge, killing him. As Lafarge dies, he says, if only that meddlesome Cosette had not sent you, I'd have been rich. He just, <laughs> he just is not good. Just committing to the bit. Yeah. yeah. And then Thor is like, "Tis ended. He is slain." Yeah, and that's the uh, extent of Thor's regret at this. this yeah, much second... like Daredevil, it's like, "Oh, I blew up that guy in a helicopter." Yeah, yeah. La -di -da. What, what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. it's it's like, oh, the uh, inevitable and predictable outcome of my actions has <laughs> once again killed this villain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't exactly uh, anyway. So now Thor does two more things. One blow dr doom off again like he's not important flies right by him oh, too. So rude. like he it's could have awesome. gone the other way yeah, yeah right <laughs> and doom is very mad he's like come fight me you coward and he's like it, it that's the worst thing you can do to doom is just be like you know what you're not even worth my time yeah yep. yeah um two he gets back to the u.s and tells cosette a pretty tricky not lie yeah about like what her dad said mm -hmm. he says uh he did perish while fighting true for that he believed or for what he believed true. true and the final words he spoke were of thee true yes yeah yeah so it yeah. all fits still uh, worthy she takes comfort from that and then Thor flies into space mentioning the world beyond again. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, I, I love John Buscema illustrating Thor. Yeah. yeah it's, I agree. I'm, I'm on board. It's a great Sinnott inking it too. Yeah, it's like, it looks gorgeous. And it, Sinnott's doing not the heavy lines of fantastic four either. He's mm -hmm. doing a little bit varied. So it feels like the right, the, the right split between like, a Coletta thing, which I'm so used to now. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and normal Senate. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, this story is, you know, it is what it is. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it, it was 20 pages that they got out on time. Um, but many walls were smashed. Many yeah. Walls, yeah. Hammers were lost. Hammers were found. Yep. Shovels were found. Shovels were <laughs> lost. <laughs> it's were dug and then blasted. Yeah. I did not like it though, despite it yeah. being repetitive and a little bit simple. I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading the story. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think it might also be that the, the, I said this about our whole, uh, system of government recently too but mm -hmm. the, the floor <laughs> might going? be falling out from underneath the bar like uh, the bar is low uh -huh. but the floor might be falling out a little bit too. yeah that's <laughs> so, that possible i i mean there were like enough different notes in here that made it interesting like yeah the, even a little bit with the villagers first seeing the the hammer i was like what does he have um and like <laughs> <laughs> like wondering like they were like, oh, should we check this out? And they're like, oh, this might be a trick from Doom. Like, like they're that worried. There's just like little moments of psychology yeah. throughout all of this. And like, I, 
I don't know if that scientist was actually that into money or if Doom just like really broke his brain and like made him think that that's what he cared about. That's the thing. It's like it's a much more interesting story if it's the latter. Yeah. But I just don't think the text supports it. Want to give it that much yeah, credit? Yeah. I, I mean, I wish I wish I could, you know, because it is. It, that's a way better story. Yeah. But um, I also like the Odin intrusions. Like it. Well, he's kind of like the the cosmic narrator almost. Yeah. yeah. I, but at the same time, being like the like like the dad trying to get into the bathroom and Thor's like, Oh, don't come in here. I got some stuff going on. Uh, I'll, I'll be there soon. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like enough, uh, cutaway stuff that made it, made it interesting. Yeah. You got some glimpses of Asgard. And I think, I think from this point on, I think it gets pretty spacey and cosmic-y for a little bit. Cool. So, um, yeah, oh. but it was a nice, nice way to kind of, you know, say goodbye to earth for a little while. Yeah. But it's all lame Dr. Blake in space. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yep. what a double edged sword that is. Yep. <laughs> Did you think the space in the end looked like the beyonders? Uh, nope. Uh, eternity's body. It looks specifically like eternity's body, like that mm. space. Oh, the, way the blue, thing. the denseness of the yeah. stars and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, I don't think so, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, see, I'll defend your right to say so. where you're going with this. I was like, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it leads to anything. I think it could be right. interpreted oh, no. that way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we're going to watch really, us be delicate was, with each other. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, we're going to look like idiots if in two issues, uh, eternity shows it just pans out and it, yeah, Jamie's like, just going to look like a genius. Yeah. <laughs> the world beyond turns out to be the belt of eternity. Oh yeah. yeah. Which then someone whips off and yeah. then you see yep. eternity's penis <laughs> <laughs> forever. All right. We're taking a break. <laughs> we'll be right back. We're 12 in a few minutes. Once we collect ourselves. All right, welcome back to Marvel by the Month, guys. We've done it again. We have gone way too long. We still have so many issues left to cover. We did this to ourselves. Now we have to pay the price. <laughs> it is time to steal our nerves and enter into the realm of madness that we call Marvel by the Minutes. It's Marvel by the Minute. We all know how this works. We get one minute to cover each remaining story. Once that minute is up, we move on to the next issue. And we never, ever continue talking about it after the time <laughs> limit has expired or waste time bantering, right? Okay. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good news is, because we are talking about three stories next episode with Chelsea Kane, we only have five to get through today. So splitting those equally, that's two for Rob and two for Jamie, and I will take the rest. Oh, wow. <laughs> so generous. Uh, so Rob, we're going to start out with you. Oh, yeah. uh, it's just a 10 pager. Um, it's, it's the, uh, inhuman story from amazing adventures. Number four, uh, love, love, love this title <laughs> with these rings. I the kill, <laughs> uh, written by Jack Kirby art by Jack Kirby and chick stone. Yeah. I am putting 60 seconds on the clock and go. Okay. I want to talk about this splash page, but I'm not. It's awesome. Um, there's an idol of an ancient uh, called Yin, and the eye of the idol is some kind of power thing that comes out. Uh, the Inhumans had dug down to it. The, the the ball of energy comes out. Black Bolt gets a hold of it for a second, and then it flies off real fast. Turns out it's going through some weird maze <laughs> and being drawn to the Mandarin, who then absorbs all the power into his sweet, sweet rings. Um, 
his the elder that has given him advice about all this stuff uh, asks for his reward. So the Mandarin turns him into ash. Uh, then Karnak finds him. Karnak tries to attack him. Karnak gets thrown into the ground. Medusa saves Karnak. Uh, then uh, Medusa, Karnak, and Triton all get stuck in a molecule bubble thing that Mandarin makes with his newfound power. Black Bolt blows up that bubble. Um, Mandarin threatens to blow up everything ever. Karnak knocks him down. Um, uh, then there's a hypno ray from Black Bolt, and they knock the Mandarin out. Wow! Well done. And they get his rings. They get his rings. Oh, they leave. I think they leave them there, and yeah. then Black Bolt like just seals the earth. Yep. So that's the end of the Mandarin. I didn't talk after. I just want to make that. Clear. <laughs> no, yeah, sure. Just... Uh, yeah. And that I was gonna say, I think that is the last Jack Kirby thing that we're going to see. There is something that is like half of a Jack Kirby thing that hmm. we'll see in a couple months. Because I was just looking ahead a little bit today. Huh. Um, so I know there is one last little glimpse of Kirby. But, oh, that's cool. Um, little, uh, it's it's very strange, though. So we'll, Desert Thief. Yeah, you'll see it when we get there. <laughs> uh, Jamie, um, would you like to tell us about when Iceman attacks? Sure. Did I get this one because cause there's an X-Man in it? No, it what? just came out randomly, but yes, sure. Aww. I was being thoughtful. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. course. Yeah. buddy and his amazing friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 92, written by Stan Lee, art by Gil Kane and John Romita. Your 60 seconds begins now. We left off with Spider-Man carrying Gwen uh, and trying to convince her that he is not Peter Parker because they were in Peter's apartment. Uh, there's also a crime guy who uh, is bad. Uh, Iceman comes after Spider-Man and Gwen. He wants to save Gwen. Uh, obviously, Spider-Man's not going to hurt Gwen, but he doesn't know that. So they have a fight, and Spider-Man's acting like a real jerk to Gwen this whole time. Meanwhile, um, the I can't remember his name. Uh, Sam Bullet is the evil politician uh, who's secretly a crime guy. Uh, he's psyched that this is happening because it's going to make Spider-Man look bad. He then uses uh, Iceman to make Spider-Man look e- even worse. J. Jonah and Robbie are on to Bullet being a crime man, uh, and they tell him what's what. Uh, and then Iceman comes after Spider-Man one more time. Uh, they're fighting. People are frozen. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's crimes going on. Oh, Robbie gets kidnapped. Oh, my God. Robbie gets kidnapped. Uh, but Spider-Man and Iceman team up to save him. Ooh, you got that in. That, I was like, I think the most important part is this racist ass Sam Bullet stuff. But yeah, yeah. Oh. yes, yeah. It, it, it's it. it uh, we get what is one of my favorite things uh, in Spider-Man with J. Jonah Jameson when uh, someone is being all racist around Jonah, and Jonah's like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Yeah, yeah. calls He's him like, a bigot. He, yeah, yeah. Uh, no one says bigot in comics more than J. Jonah Jameson. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Yep. And no one is more distorted on their version of reality than J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just but the even irony. He yeah. knows. Right. Even he knows even. this is not <laughs> right. acceptable. Okay. Uh, we, I am now going to get us over to uh, Fantastic Four. Some of these Fantastic Fours were my first comics I ever read. Oh, wow. Okay. And so they look like the way they look and the expressions on people's faces is like, ah. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, this okay. is right. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, so I'm going to take us over to Fantastic Four. Uh, Fantastic Four number 106. The story is called The Monster's Secret. Uh, it's by Stan Lee and John Romita with Joe Sinnott. 
60 seconds on the clock, and here I go. So, uh, there's an energy creature who is menacing Sue, uh, and uh, Reed is right in the middle of a delicate uh, operation on Ben to try to get him uh, to restore him to humanity. Uh, Reed's like, I gotta go take care of Sue. Uh, so he runs off. He tells Johnny, just absorb all the heat. Absorb all the heat. <laughs> so Johnny does that. He absorbs all the heat, and he, like, turns the Baxter building to this frigid wasteland. Um, then he, like, flies up into the sky and almost passes out and collapses. Uh, Reed shows up uh, to fight the glowing monster man, um, and uh, he finds out that his friend, a scientist who is with Sue, uh, turned his son into this glowing monster man. Um, so uh, Reed tries to figure out a way to uh, restore him. Um, and then Johnny plummets uh, and he almost dies, but he doesn't. <laughs> Wackiness ensues. <laughs> uh, and then um, they uh, Reed invents a device, turns the kid back to normal. Everyone's fine. Uh, now we got to see what happens to Ben. Bam. Wow, well done. You leveraged the wackiness and suits. Yeah, well played. I don't think I can do it. It works. It works. No, I, I think I have proof. the moxie. Well, I'm a son of New England. I'm 90% moxie. <laughs> the soda, not. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Uh, okay, Rob. Um, we we talked about Kang at the very beginning oh, no. of this episode. Oh, you get no. to talk about uh, a Kang story, Descent into the Time Storm. Uh, Incredible Hulk number 135, which has a very Stranko-ish cover. Yeah, Can I just say before cover. we begin that there's nothing like a Marvel by the Minute that is a Kang story. <laughs> right, right. Because it's very easy to explain <laughs> any Kang story in <laughs> under a minute. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and it's written by Roy Thomas, who always tells very simple and straightforward stories. <laughs> uh, the art is by Herb Trimpey and Sal Buscema. You have 60 seconds. Make the most of them. Oh. Go. Okay, Kang's in the 41st century, uh, thinking about ways to get revenge on the Avengers. Um, he comes up with a plan to go to World War One and uh, mess up the Phantom Eagle, uh, who's Carl Kaufman, a German pilot who flies for the Allies. It's I, anyway. Um, Kang goes and tries to get there, but he hits the old time storm, so he can't get to World War One. So what does he do? He beams. Hulk from 1977 or 1970 to uh, to the 41st century, then beams him back into <laughs> the uh, into World War One after he tells him that he can beat up uh, Puny Banner by destroying this this thing on a plane, basically you know killing the Phantom Eagle. Um, Hulk does manage to get the thing, the bomb, not to drop, but then he ends up punching the giant gun that w the bomb was supposed to blow up, and then. Um, King beams him back into the 1970s and he falls asleep and turns into Banner. <laughs> wow. Good enough. Yeah. Wow, that was really good. That's pretty much everything. Um, yeah. You hit all the all the big beats. Yeah. And leave it to Roy Thomas to try to shoehorn that World War, War I, One I flying character? ace. Yeah. yeah. Right. Who's only, I think, appeared in only one other story, which is his debut. I think Gary Friedrich created it. We talked about it, but. Yeah. He was in a, uh, like a Marvel spotlight or something. Um, yeah, Marvel. Uh, Marvel superheroes. Marvel superheroes, I think, was the name of the the magazine. But yeah, one of their anthology. Things. The weird so. twist, though, one panel from the end is yeah. that he he is Banner again. Right. He because of the time travel or whatever. Yes. That whole oh. storyline of him being stuck as the Hulk and no Banner just is, is gone. It's gone. It's like jump started yeah. him. They didn't do anything with that. Nope. Oh man, they threw it I away with that. a wacky back and forth to the 41st century yeah. in the World War One story. Oh, yeah, that's a bummer. Well, 
Maybe uh, Submariner will be less disappointing, Jamie. <laughs> Maybe. Um, it's up to you to tell us. Uh, the story uh, from Submariner number 33 is called Come the Cataclysm. Written by Roy Thomas, art by Sal Busema and Jim Mooney. Last issue. Make it a good one. Go. All right. Namor swimming, like in most starting of Namor issues. And then he takes a nap. After <laughs> like, a great start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's swimming and napping, like in so many issues. Uh, and on the way back to, <laughs> Such a good to use of time. Atlantis, uh, there's a cataclysm. And they say cataclysm 900 times. Uh, everyone's freaking out. The population is unhappy because Namor wasn't there to save him. And then Briah shows up, uh, who was a bad guy from an earlier issue that they uh, banished. But now he's back and he wants to take charge because Namor's been negligent. Namor has 24 hours then to uh, prove that he's good. Uh, so he thinks about some ladies as he's swimming away. Uh, and eventually he goes to the UN and yells at them for setting off the explosion. And they're like, no, the explosion wasn't there. It came from there. So he goes there and fights a green monster really quick. Uh, and then it turns out it's Dork uh, and Krang again <laughs> to their old nonsense. So he goes back and proposes to uh, Lady Dorma and gets his people back the end. Nice. Yeah, at the wire. You got the proposal in there too? Oof. Yep. Whew. Dork Very and Krang. Yeah, I had everything. <laughs> yeah. Now, I did choose that issue for you. <laughs> had Dorma, Dorka, and yeah, Krang. Yeah, because it had Dorma, Dorka, Krang. It had three of the four. It did. Oh, man. Yeah, it was like not a bad Namor issue. Yeah, I love the uh, the sea monster. Yeah, there was yeah. one. Is it literally one page? I think it might be. It'll probably oh, wind up on right. our Instagram, so if you Yeah, he's a fun-looking beast. Yeah, you'll see him. That is another thing about the Instagram is like, it's worth looking at just to see some of the nonsense we poorly... Uh, detail yeah. to yeah, right, right, right. audio. Um, or, you know, you can then get even some idea uh, of how off we were in the first place. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but if anybody can tell me what's on Spymaster's head, I'm really <laughs> curious. Well, uh, hopefully we've got someone out there who will help us out. Um, we could just bug Fraction about it. He used him in a story. Yeah, I mean, in a really creepy. I could use. look it up, yeah. but I'm lazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's just easier to text him or something. Um, okay, well, uh, guys, there's just one last thing to do here, um, and that is to share our astonishing takes. Um, so uh, this is our recommendation segment uh, for things that our listeners may want to check out uh, that are not the Marvel comics of October 1970. Although some of those were worth checking out as well. Um, I will uh, get us started by saying uh, my astonishing take is that you should read She-Hulk by Dan Slott. Um, mm. I was a huge fan of John Byrne's sensational She-Hulk as a young Marvel reader. Um, I thought it was a really fun and silly romp through obscure Marvel lore. Um, and there was uh, about a year or so in there where Steve Gerber took over the book. Um, and that was my first exposure to Gerber's work. And also to Howard the Duck, um, outside of the terrible movie. <laughs> um, but uh, Dan Slott and artist Juan Bobillo uh, capture really that same lighthearted, continuity-obsessed energy. Um, it, it doesn't have Burns' constant breaking of the fourth wall, which is just... It was a joke that got really, really old really quickly in the original series. So hmm. I'm glad they did not uh, go forward with that. Also, I think that's Deadpool's trademark these days. Yeah, so. it, or Gwenpool. But yeah, mm -hmm. it wasn't as omniscient as Deadpool. Mm. Yeah. So they're still in the story. Just characters weren't aware of where they were necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, so okay. it was like, it didn't have quite that like 
we're all in this together. We understand how everything works. Right. You know? Right, right, right. Huh. Um, it was more like she understood that she was in a comic book and she would sort of use that to like walk between panels and things like mm-hmm. that. So. Oh, that that's a Gwenpool territory. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so She-Hulk is uh, Slot's version. Uh, it's basically a superhero sitcom uh, where Jennifer Walters is employed at the firm of Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway. Cute. Um, and that, it's a law firm that specializes in superhuman law. Um, one of my favorite bits is that in the 616, the Comics Code is a federal agency <laughs> that approves the publication of all Marvel comics as actual historical records, uh, which means that comic books are admissible uh, in court um, <laughs> as evidence. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's a good bit um, that they really um, like they're going down to the stacks in the law library is like literally long boxes of comics. Oh, um, fun. Yeah. It's just terrific. Uh, but yeah, I, and she Hulk herself is, is highly capable. Um, and she's really great at her job. She's also kind of a sloppy mess at the same time. Um, and her personal and professional wins are emphasized just as much as any of the usual superhero supervillain stuff. So, uh, I really hope the upcoming Disney Plus show uh, draws heavily from this as source material. If it does, um, I think it's going to be an awful lot of fun. Yeah, so, yeah, I loved that. It was like a precursor to like Ally McBeal or something, but uh, also mm-hmm. you're a Hulk. Yeah. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, sold. That's a great premise. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, well, I'm going to take us in a totally different direction Sweet. from your lighthearted romp. Um <laughs> I've I've mentioned both uh, volumes one and two of this before, but I have now recompleted uh, during our break in March all of Providence Compendium. Um, this is by Alan Moore and Jason Burroughs. It was put out by Avatar Press in 2021. Uh, it collects the entire sweeping story of a journalist investigating the mythology of America during the 1920s. Hmm. The journey is really a stitching together of fact and fiction to create a unified tale of the Lovecraftian universe. Um, It touches on historical events, other authors of the time, and everything you might remember and more from Lovecraft's stories, uh, told through only dialogue and a first-person diary of our hero, Robert Black. Um, It is not like so much of Moore's work, a book to be read lightly. <laughs> if distractions abound, you'll be rereading pages over and over to realign yourself with the story. But if you can stay in it and connected, the perfect slice of incomprehensible horror overlapped with the seemingly mundane will take you on a mind-bending tour of all of the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, it will make you question the occult knowledge of the author and, of course, the awakening of the old ones to rule over our universe again. Wow. Yay. That was a very different direction from yeah. She-Hulk. <laughs> I, I even, you know, thought and wrote down some words to help <laughs> wow. uh, convey that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Providence. Um, yeah, it took yeah. it really did take me two readings to get it. Yep. Like there's so much foreshadowing and it crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, yep. Man, I mean, this may be unsurprising, but I have not heard of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that's not something like I've seen in the in comic shops. You know, like I feel like a lot of Moore's stuff in the last ten or fifteen years. Well, I mean, some of it is actually quite good. I, I mean, none of it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, most of it is not. It's not Alan Moore, you know, capital, whatever. Um, but 
uh, yeah, I feel like at some point, like, comics kind of collectively just decided it's like, Alan Moore's not really doing anything worth reading, which is not true at all. Like, huh. Providence is great. I really love Cinema Paradiso, um, which I think you have to be a little bit of a film nut to really appreciate everything in there. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, he's not doing nearly as much as he used to do, and he's just cranky about the industry. Um, but when he decides to do something, he's still real good at his job. Yeah, so. you can also tell that editors don't have much, if anything, to do with Alan Moore. No, uh, he does whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah for yeah. for good or for bad, I imagine. Yeah, and it, and I think it's for good, but it it makes it the it makes it tougher. You've got to commit. He's like, I want you to read this, and I want you to think about it. Uh, and okay. that is, I, like, I feel like that's the contract with Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. Jerusalem. Like man, yeah. it's great, but you've got to you've got to commit to doing it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, he's really reached that point where he's established enough that he doesn't have to work for anyone he doesn't want to, and he doesn't want to work for anyone who's going to box him in or restrict him oh. in any way that he doesn't want. Um, so you know, I mean, it's like it's sort of like you know, I think every writer who's very successful gets to this point where. You know, it's like maybe they could benefit from a little editing, um, mm. but they're not going to get it anymore because they don't need to because they don't need to put up with it. And and they've earned the right to explore things that they want to explore, you know. Um, so, yeah, I yeah. think the court will allow it. Oh, yeah. I think so, okay. too. Yeah. To, gotcha. to bring us back to the Tribune. Yes. <laughs> right. If I see a book, if I see any book that I don't own that has Alan Moore's name on it, I buy it. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. Oh, yep. He's, he's one of like maybe five authors that I would say that about. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I know from going to comic book stores early on uh, when Brian and I were working together, it was like we're just at the same author's shelves. <laughs> oh, funny. Uh, <laughs> like, yep. oh, you're in you're into Grant Morrison too? Oh, <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, cool. All right, Jamie. Uh, what do you got? All right. This is this is the last one of my one of, of, of this zone. I what happened is my birthday is in December uh, and I got a bunch of stuff and I'm like still kind of working through that stuff. So it's all uh, recent. <laughs> uh, so I just did a reread of the Hellfire Gala. Um, I imagine you guys have not read that. I own it, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'd have to place the, you know, like five year zone to know if I've read it. But, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, so how this works is it's like a very puzzle boxy kind of format where uh, you're getting, there is an event, a gala, uh, and the X books, oh, this is X-Men stuff for those who don't know that. Um, It's been kind of like being hinted at here and there that people are doing things and like very, and like much of it is unimportant and seems trivial, but it's kind of like results in this big event happening. And then the way they reveal the event is like each book has a chunk of it and you see different chunks in kind of that Hickman way, like you're seeing it from different perspectives or the scene goes on longer or what you see the person watching the scene you've seen before. So it's like the same way that time travel movies are like inherently satisfying. Uh-huh. Like when they fill in that missing piece, you get that same feeling, but like again and again and again with each book. Oh, that's fun. Um, Sounds like a, like a Tarantino in too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like each book has its own flavor of, what it's doing and it doesn't betray the flavor of the book when they're doing a crossover like Mm -hmm. that x line is doing a mint job of that right now like each one is being true to its kind of themes and whatever uh and it culminates in a 
um, line wide thing that happens uh, that I, I can't spoil, but that like changes the status quo of a lot. Nice. Yeah. Um, it's it's delightful. And there's a uh, the uh, like what originally attracted to me attracted this to me or me to this is uh the mutant fashion did you see those oh yeah yeah um and it's it the this whole x line of the krakoan era was founded on the idea that like these people have never been safe and if you've never been safe you can't build a culture Mm -hmm. and if you can't build a culture you're not really like a people like you're too scattered so what happens if you take a population that has never had that space and let them do that um and so like having mutant fashion was like a cute, funny thing to see online. And like mm-hmm. the designs are awesome. Yeah. But it's also like representative of some like really interesting ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's like I, I really love and I'm not as as current on the X stuff that, as you are. But I, I love the way that. So, you know, X-Men and mutants in Marvel have been used for decades as like, you know, outsider group whatever like you know they work Mm. as a metaphor for any outsider group right and i really feel like one of the things that the hickman era and beyond has has kind of brought around is like what happens when this outsider group crosses over into the mainstream to some degree yeah you know and it like you said it achieves some measure of respectability or safety or power or you know just the thing that allows it to it's not having to assimilate into anything else anymore it's it can to be, be its, its own, own thing. thing right yeah um and i think that's a really interesting evolution <laughs> hey. of oh. the metaphor yeah so yeah i agree and that it's tremendously fun to look at it's plot relevant it's ex- like exciting story structure it's, it's interesting on every possible level but yeah uh and there is a hardcover version that has all the fun little bells and whistles and you know scribbles and costume design stuff and i I recommended that one i'm not i'm not usually a fan of taller Mm -hmm. pieces because i like my shelves to be of the same height (laughs) and color whenever where possible (laughs) um but it it, worth worth having a taller book for the extra doodads at the sure that fits you perfectly (laughs) i I would prefer (laughs) uniformity on my bookshelf please yeah Like, oh, this giant thing. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> Why are they using colors on covers anyway? Now i got to move the pegs on my shelves to accommodate. <laughs> get off my lawn. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's get off of all these people's lawns. We've, <laughs> we've wrapped up another episode of this thing. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can, uh, if you want more of this, who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, subscribe to our Patreon for the fantastic price of four bucks a month at patreon.com slash month. You can get exclusive content if you do that. Um, and yeah, there is a thing that we can't talk about until after the thing has happened, but only patrons are going to be able to be eligible for it. So um, I literally can't say more than that at this point. Uh, but it, look, it's going to be worth your four bucks. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it'll be worth your four bucks. I think you will have thought in retrospect that was worth my four dollars. Um, review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever you use to listen to us. If you'd like some free stuff in the mail, send us a screenshot of your five-star review to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at marvelbythemonth and Twitter at marvelbtm. 
MarvelByTheMonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. And that is all for now. My name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. And I'm Jamie Wenger. We will see you next week for next month. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. saying that i was like i bet it's like me on a any like amusement park yeah. ride which yeah. i will go on but all i do is go like i wish this would end and i'm gonna throw up <laughs> you know because i can't go backwards or sideways i can't ride on the bus sitting sideways without getting oh. green so if it starts to go backwards i'm like oh fuck <laughs> yeah that's the sting i'm gonna put at the end of the episode i wish this would end and i'm going to throw up <laughs> The Monday episode. (laughs) It's good to have a theme.